Today's reading is taken from Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 19. Saul's conversion. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men travelling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple called Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias! Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go straight to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision he had seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem, and he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, he has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptised, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Amen, and may God add his blessing to this reading from his holy word. Why did the Christian cross the road? We'll come back to that. The story of Saul or Paul is a dramatic enough story, isn't it? The murderer, the one who went around trying to kill Christians, who has a dramatic conversion and then goes on to be one of the greatest, most influential missionaries there ever was and writes a third, well, 25% of the New Testament. Luke actually wrote more when he was writing Luke and Acts. But I don't really want to talk too much about Paul or Saul this morning. I want to focus on Ananias. Willie Barclay calls him one of the forgotten heroes of the Bible. And I think that's pretty fair. His story is just a bit part, and all he does is cross the road, go down Street Street, go to a house, and have a conversation, and then exit. And yet that will change everything. Ananias is introduced with very little background. We know nothing much about him other than that he was in Damascus. We're simply told in verse 10 that he was a disciple. But that's a powerful word, disciple. Not a Christian, not a believer, but a disciple. 
It's the same word that's used of the followers of Jesus in the Gospels, and it's used again by Luke in Acts. The word literally might be translated a learner or a student. Its roots are in the rabbinic tradition where a rabbi would take on disciples and the disciples would follow him round, learning what he had to teach, but also learning to live like him, to speak like him, to have his values that they might go on then and teach others. And Christians are called to be disciples, to make disciples, not just people who come to believe a set of things, but a group of people who come to be shaped by who Jesus is. Question for you, are you a disciple? Are you someone who no matter how weak your faith may be or how much you get things wrong, are learning, growing, becoming more like Jesus? The disciple Ananias simply heard a call that day, a call from God. And his response as God called him was to say simply, here I am. Well, he said, yes, Lord, if you read it. But that call, yes, Lord, or that call, here I am, has a, a long tradition in the Bible itself. Just about everybody who did everything heard a call from God and responded, sometimes quite reluctantly, by saying, I'm here, I'm available. I'm willing to go where you send me. I'm willing to be part of this story. Ananias wasn't ready for what came next. Go to Straight Street to the house of Judas, and there you'll find a man from Tarsus called Saul. He would have known who Saul was all right. The stories would have come from Jerusalem. Stephen had been stoned to death by a crowd and Saul had been there approving of the whole thing. Then there'd been persecution coming from the authorities and Saul was there with the chief priest. In fact, he'd gone to them and said, can I go further? Can I go to Damascus? Can I arrest people? Can I put men and women in prison because of this faith? Oh, Ananias knew who Saul was all right. In fact, perhaps Ananias was in Damascus because he was one of those who had had to run from Jerusalem because of all of that. Oh Lord, him? Really? That one? It looked so hopeless, so horrible, like a, a sort of suicide pact. Oh Lord, can you ask me something else, something simpler, something easier? When the Lord calls, are we ready to say, yes, Lord? Here I am. The call might be something fairly simple. Cross the road, have a meeting, go somewhere, talk to someone. But always with God, those things are not insignificant and they're also costly. Back in the 1950s, there was a medical missionary in what is now the People's of the Democratic Republic of the Congo. It was a time of violence, of persecution, of awful things happening. And into that situation went Dr. Helen Rosevere as a medical missionary. She found there what violence was. She was imprisoned for a while and there were tough days. I know her story a little bit because I've read some of her books, but also because in the 1980s she would come to the church where I was a member. One day when she was preaching there, we began to sing a song. The chorus was, Here I am, Lord, wholly available, and she stopped the congregation and asked a simple question. Really? Do you know what that means? Are you really available to the Lord? Because that can often be costly. 
So Ananias says, yes, Lord. And then really struggles with what comes next when he's sent to this murderer. Oh, Lord, not him. That can't be right. God's reply is, but that's the guy I want. That's my plan. You might not understand it, but that's what I'm about. But what I need from you is quite small and quite simple. Just trust me and go where I send you and I'll do the rest. See, God isn't calling Ananias to do something dramatic. He's not saying, go and convince Paul of the truth of the gospel. He's not saying anything like that. He's saying, I'm already doing something. I've already made my choices. I've already got my plan. I simply need you, Ananias, to be willing to play your small part in it. Are we willing to do that? Ananias wasn't going to change the world alone. Ananias wasn't going to go on the journeys that Paul went. Ananias wasn't going to convince anybody to be a Christian. He was just going to be faithful and be willing to have the conversation that God called him to have. God's always sending people, Moses to Pharaoh, the prophets to the people, John the Baptist ahead of Jesus, the disciples out in pairs, and all of us out into the world to love and to care for it. That's why the Christian crosses the road. Not because they expect to be doing amazing things, but because they believe in an amazing God and that when we participate in what God wants us to do in our little ways, that's when we find God at work. And that's when the church begins to grow and we begin to see the world changed around us. Go, says the Spirit of Jesus. Go and be willing to love. Go and be willing to forgive. Go and be willing to listen and to care. Go and be willing to speak and have a conversation. Go and be willing to be my hands and my presence. Go across the road as well as across the world. A conversation maybe that you feel just now that God is calling you towards. A person, a situation where you need to put out a hand maybe to another Christian or maybe to someone who doesn't believe just to start to say that you love them, that you care about them, that you want to meet their needs. I wonder if you know the story of Jonah and the whale. No, not the one in the Bible of Jonah and the whale, but the story of Joan and the whale. It's a story in a children's Christian book that I had. It's a story of a girl called Joan. Joan wants to be a missionary. She wants to go to Upper Tarshish Tan and tell people about Jesus. She's thinking about that and praying about that and she gets a call from God to go and visit a girl in a class that nobody likes. In fact they call her the whale because she's, well she's obese and unpopular. And Joan really struggles with it. If she does this people won't like her. Why would God ask me to do that? She's not very nice anyway. Of course the parable of the story is simply this, that we can't say we're willing to go and be missionaries on a mission field or do big things for God or sing hymns of commitment if we're not willing to do the little obvious things that are right in front of our nose, like cross the road in Straight Street and do what God is asking me to do. I wonder, as we sing songs of commitment this morning, is there maybe something very small that you know God wants you to do? It's maybe making a phone call to another Christian and patching things up. It's maybe reaching out to somebody who you know just needs some time or some prayer. It's maybe be willing to talk to someone about our faith. 
when it's really a little bit awkward, but there is an opportunity there just to say something. Is there something small, a little well, that maybe God is asking you to do, a little journey across the road? Why did the Christian cross the road? Because Jesus asked them. It wasn't necessarily very important, but when they committed that small thing to Christ, then larger things would begin to happen. Pastor Tandon was from Bhutan. It's a Buddhist country in the Himalayas. And there he was pastoring a church in very difficult circumstances, a time of persecution when it was illegal to talk about your faith. Tandon had three very small children. And when he came to the church I was in and started to tell his story, he told it through tears. He went one day to a seminary just to teach some other pastors a bit more about Jesus and he kissed his children goodbye and off he went to that seminary of 30 students. He knew what he was doing was very risky. He was arrested. He was tried. He was treated awfully and then spent four years in prison. All the time aware of what it had cost him to take that step for Jesus, what it had cost his family just to do that. Now fortunately, we are not often called to make those types of sacrifices, but as he told his story with our congregation at that time, it left me really asking some very big questions about the small things that God asks us to do that we don't do because they're not convenient and we've got a hundred excuses. I won't talk about Jesus publicly because it's embarrassing. I won't go to the church meeting, not because the police might be at the door and arrest me, but because the telly's good. I won't spend time reading my Bible, not because somebody might come and knock the door or report me, not because it's difficult to get one, but because I can't be bothered. I won't go and apologise to that person and heal that relationship because, well, they're in the wrong. And all the things that we use to stop ourselves, just hearing that call of God to cross the road. And yet, so often, when we do what God is asking, then his spirit begins to move and things begin to happen. Do we desire in the days that come to see our church renewed? Do we desire to see the gospel spread? Do we desire to see the word of God lifted up in Motherwell? I think most of us are nodding to those things. Are we willing to take the steps, even the small steps of commitment, of yes, Lord, that it will take to move that forward? So Ananias gets the straight street to Judas's house and there he sees this persecuting murderer of the church and he says to him, Brother Saul. These words are actually dynamite, Brother Saul. It's such a powerful word, brother. The first thing he's saying to him is, we are family because of Jesus. Whatever our past, whatever our history, however much suspicion that there might rightly lie between us, we are family. 
And what a word for Paul. He's been persecuting the church. He's had this experience in the Damascus Road. He's blind now. And the first thing he hears from another Christian is brother. We are family. It's deeper than friend. And I think as a church, we need to acknowledge that as well. We may be friends. We may have a lot in common. We may like music and like gathering and all these other things. But what we have here is deeper because of the spirit of Jesus Christ. We have a father. We have been adopted by the cross to be his children. Because of that, we are brothers and sisters. And that is deep. The grace of God that adopts us and makes us a family. You can choose your friends, they say, but you you can't choose your family. And that's the same with us as Christians together. And it is vitally important. That word was to become even more important because as Paul went around doing his missionary work later on, and as he wrote epistle after epistle and letter after letter, you will find it right through all of the letters as he addresses the new Christians, brothers and sisters, using that word that Ananias had first spoken to him when he had accepted and welcomed him into the church. And the word is there today. I wonder as Paul wrote that word to other Christians in different places, Jews and Gentiles, slaves and free, men and women, Adelphos, Adelphoi, the Greek word, brother, he remembered what Ananias had said to him that day and how important it was. As folk come into our church, all sorts and all different people, as we begin to meet other Christians, are we willing to say unconditionally, you are family and you belong to us as we belong to you? There is a sense as we read this passage that the first nine verses of chapter 9 are the story of the conversion of St. Paul. The rest of the chapter, indeed beyond it, is the story of the conversion of the church to St. Paul. The easy bit for God was turning Paul round on the Damascus Road and working that dramatic thing in his life. The harder bit was going to be repairing the relationships, building the trust, and making the fellowship where Paul was to be accepted. Paul, if you read his letters, all his life would struggle with that sense that perhaps people were suspicious of him, unsure of him, but still they were brothers and sisters in Jesus. I'd love to have been in that house of Judas on Straight Street listening to that conversation because it can have been easy. Think about it. Here is Ananias greeting brother Saul And who is Brother Saul? He's the very guy who came just the day before, heading for Damascus to arrest people like Ananias. The guy whose hands were steeped in the blood of his friend Stephen. And yet there they were, reaching out to one another as brothers because of what Jesus had done. That's the background to the gospel. It is that someone even with Saul's background can be forgiven and incorporated into God's family forgiven because of what Jesus did on the cross, but it's actually more than that. It's as any two Christians sit together, they know this, that whatever might lie between them, whatever wrongs, whatever bitterness, far greater is that what Jesus has forgiven each of them, that he gave his life for them to bring them into his family. So not just as brothers, but as those who have been forgiven, so they must forgive. Here's what Saul, or Paul, wrote some years later to the Corinthians. 
if anyone is in Christ, and he might have been thinking of himself here, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. We therefore are Christ's ambassadors. If you're sitting today with a grievance against another Christian, maybe it's quite justified. They've not behaved the way they should have done. If you're sitting there aware of the faults of another Christian, if you're sitting there feeling that there's something between you, think about Paul and Ananias that day. How easy it would have been for Ananias to say there is so much baggage here. And yet in the gospel, reconciliation. That's what the gospel is all about. It's what Paul would go on to do as he brought together Jews and Gentiles, slave and free, man and woman, all recognizing that because they had been forgiven, they would forgive. Because Jesus, in his grace and mercy, had accepted them and brought them into his family, how could they do any less for those that he'd also brought in on exactly the same basis. Just encourage you to take a moment just now, if you do have any bitterness in your heart, remembering that prayer that we've prayed. Lord, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against them. It cost Jesus his life on the cross to bring our forgiveness. What are we willing to do to bring forgiveness and healing and an end to bitterness and to engage in this gospel of reconciliation. By the end of the passage we've read, Saul is beginning to preach. That's really interesting. This guy's just become a Christian, having been killed them, and now he's out there proclaiming the good news of Jesus. I wonder if Ananias encouraged that as well. It's true that sometimes when people become Christians at first, they put the rest of the church to shame because they have that enthusiasm to tell people about Jesus, to talk about Jesus, that older Christians really don't do that because we're Presbyterians. Can we be a church where we encourage each other to be bold, to be God-centered, to be looking for him at work, to be affirming one another, to be building one another up and letting the gifts be used? I think as we begin to gather again in the coming months, then those are the sort of questions we need to be asking ourselves as we move forward. So Ananias, the forgotten disciple, and yet actually very critical. What will God do if we can be more like Ananias? Willing to hear? willing to pay the price even where it's inconvenient, willing to go, bringing the name of Jesus, affirming one another, not just as friends when we like one another or feel we've got things in common, but as brothers and sisters adopted into a family and encouraging one another to use the gifts 
that God has given us that we might proclaim the name of Jesus. I think those are the challenges for us as we move ahead. To begin to see and have a deeper commitment. I know in these days we will long to be gathering back together in church. A word of warning that might be further away than we hope. But I would hope something else. That what would be moving our prayers and our longings wouldn't just be that we could have services again but that we could become a place where we could be disciples. Where we would look and see where God is sending us. Where we would engage with God in the small things. Where we would begin to expect as we honour him in those things, so we would begin to see him at work in our midst. That we would affirm and encourage one another. And that we would look for the Spirit of Jesus Christ to be at work in all of us. May that be our prayer in these days. Amen.